Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm going to be talking about, if you, if you looked at this video, how the mom's trying to get things done, and while she's doing it, things are getting undone. And I think that's part of our natural world, is this tendency towards disorder. And, and, and we see that. We feel it. We experience it all around us. Um, you don't have to be a mom to experience this. You can be a businessman or a businesswoman working at a job. You get promoted. You get sent to a different position. And whatever you instituted, your pet projects, things that were special to you, um, a new person comes in, and it can go, all, it can go out the window. And so what you did... You might feel that it got undone because the person that comes in has a different philosophy um, and they have maybe a a different priority. Um, We see it in our possessions. If you own a car, I think most of us own a car, you know, they they break down, right? Things break down in this world. Um, If you buy your kid a shiny bicycle for Christmas and we're in an El Nino year, which we haven't seen for a while, and the child leaves the bike out all winter, that beautiful, bright, shiny bike is going to rust. It's going to corrode. So we experience disorder in our world, and uh, scientists tell us there's a name for it. Things moving towards disorder, to the state of disorder, it's called entropy. It's actually the second law of thermodynamics. So, so we know, we feel this, we experience it in our life. So as we um, experience that, we can think about God behind the scenes and what God says about it. And if we could go to the second slide... I'm not coordinated enough to hit the button and not trip off the, off the stage and remember what I'm going to say. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. So Melody said she'd help me if, if I get distracted. Um, so if we go behind the scenes and to, to the spiritual world, I'm, I'm going to take you to, um, to Genesis, to the first book in our Bible, and to Genesis chapter 1. And in that verse it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in this this verse, um, we we see a world that's formless and empty. And and the Hebrew words uh, really, kind of the alternate meanings to those words are chaos, confusion, uh, primeval waste, so, so we see an earth that doesn't have form, doesn't have any order to it, and then there's darkness. Well, we live in the 21st century, and we live in an urban area. It's never dark. I mean, have you noticed that? It, it's not dark enough that it's so deep that it obscures everything, and that's actually terrifying. You can't see anything in front of you, anything around you. And so the, the word in Hebrew for darkness is this deep darkness that's obscuring everything. Now, the only thing I can think of that's really dark is, and I don't know if any of you are like this, um, would it be me, people that go into caves and go down into the bowels of the earth, and when they get far enough in those caves, it's so dark, it's terrifying. That is the kind of darkness that existed. And then we see God creating beauty and order. So God says, let there be light, and there's light. So that darkness is not deep and obscured anymore. And then stepwise, he continues to create this planet Earth and the universe and the beauty that we see. 
And we see his beauty, um, his creativity, and his order anytime you step outside. I, I mean, it's revealed to us. You, you can see a sunset, and you just think, oh, my gosh, that's the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. If you're a skier or you like the mountains and you're up above tree line and you see those vistas, it's incredible. Or how about on the beach? I mean, we live near the beach, and every time I go down to the beach, I'm always struck by the beauty of it. And I always think, why don't I get down here more? Well, I don't know. I guess we're all busy, right? Um, so we see God's beauty and order superimposed in the natural world around us. But we also have, as scientists tell us, this proclivity in natural systems, mechanical and chemical systems, to move towards disorder. Um, so, but kind of uh, juxtaposed juxtaposed on that, sorry, I'm tripping over my words, is um, a theme of love. And I don't know why, but our world is obsessed with love. People make a lot of money writing about love, talking about love. Hollywood loves a good romance and love story. How many romance novels are there out there? Music producers, music videos. I mean, we as a people seem obsessed with love. And, um, and, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about everybody, everybody. I don't care what you believe in, what your belief system is. We're obsessed with love. And so I started thinking, why do you think that is? Why, why, why are we so obsessed with love? Well, if we go to, in Genesis, uh, down a couple verses to verse 27, it, said, it says, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female. God created them. So I would suggest today for your consideration that if God made us in his own image, and, and, and as we read the Bible, we learn that God is love, is it any wonder that we are all obsessed with love? God made us in that image. It's something we're going to be obsessed with. It's something we're going to crave. Um, so that, that, that's something we see in the natural world. It's not even necessarily, you know, if people aren't believers, they're still obsessed with love. So um, let, me, let me go on because this is um, Mother's Day. And, um, and, 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 and as we think about moms, you know, when moms have a new baby, um, you know, moms are holding that baby, they're cuddling that baby, they're feeding the baby, they're washing the baby, they're running after the baby like in the video. Um, they're just busy with that baby, and they're loving on that baby, and that baby feels the love. And scientists and doctors, you know, tell us very specifically that love is important for a baby to thrive. If you're going to have a human being thrive, that primary connection with their caregiver is really important. Babies need to be touched. They need to be loved. They need to feel it. So, um, and, and, and that's great because moms, when, when the babies are little, they're so sweet and they're fun. Well, but then they grow and they get to be about two years old. <laughs> and think about the word temper tantrums. Does that, uh, if you have a two-year-old or you know a two-year-old, you've probably experienced that. And the favorite, one of the favorite words of a two-year-old is mine. Everything belongs to them. Is, is that my earring hitting, Melody? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Let me just take it off. Sorry, guys. I've never been wired before, so I didn't know about that. Okay. So I'm removing an earring. Okay. Um, sorry about the tapping. 
So, so their, one of their favorite words is mine. Their second favorite word is no. And, you know, they can say that like, no, 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 no. You know, I mean, it's amazing how vocal they can get. So does anybody here think it's a good idea that two-year-olds run this world? <laughs> I mean, come on. And have somebody always saying mine or no? And so although moms spend a lot of time loving their child, at some point there's a collision course where they begin to understand, I have to um, teach this child some self-control because otherwise things are going to be haywire and my two-year-old is going to be a dictator and our lives are going to be out of control because they're going to be at the whims of a two-year-old. So if we look at, um, in the Bible, if we go over to... Um, uh, Paul's writing to the Apostle Paul. Oh, b- before I get there, I'm sorry. Um, let, me, let me just back up a little bit. If we can, can we back up one slide, Melody? Okay, thank you. So, so on this slide, um, uh, for our unique identity, one of the things um, that God wants to do is to imprint on us an identity of love. And, and, and that comes from knowing who he is and understanding that we're made in his image. The second thing that I think is important is we are encouraged to love and to transfer that love identity to our children, to our family, to our friends, to, to, to live it out. Because as followers, uh, as we believe in God, and as followers of Jesus Christ, his son, we believe that God embodies love. He, it is who he is. It's what he acts from. Um, it's foundational to our understanding of him. So, so now back over to the self-control issue because we're moms and we're raising kids and the moms tend to be on the firing line. They're often home when the children are little and going through these, these stages. So if we go to the New Testament, we're in Genesis, so we pop over to Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to um, the city in Galatia. So the letter is um, an epistle to the Galatians. And in uh, Galatians 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says that the fruit of the spirits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sorry, it's elementary. I have to count on my fingers so I make sure I'm not missing one. <laughs> so, um, so he talks about that. And t- today I would ask you to, to think about, you know, having an identity of love on, on one part of the spectrum and then on the second part of the spectrum, having self-control. And what I would um, theorize to you and say to you is if you have love and it's bounded over here in self-control, you're going to have all of these glorious things in between. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I mean, it's like, come on, who doesn't want a little more peace in their relationships? Who doesn't want some joy in their household? How about patience? How about gentleness? So, we see a God who's embodied in love, and we also know from dealing with our kids that there has to be some self-control. So as moms, and we're on the firing line, well, how do, how do we do that? And um, I, I know I'm, I'm going to give you a couple quick stories. 
So when my kids were, I want to say two and three and a half, two and about three and a half years old, I have two girls, Tiffany and Marina, and they're pretty good kids. And uh, it's the end of the day, and I know this probably has happened to a lot of you. It's like 4 o'clock, and I'm thinking, oh, i got to go to the grocery store. But Jeff's going to be working late tonight, so I'm going to grab the kids. We're going to run to the grocery store. So I'm in the grocery store, and I've got, I, I, I'm on a mission. i got everything in the grocery cart, and my kids are being pretty good. And all of a sudden, uh, there's a nuclear meltdown. I don't remember what aisle we're on, but my kids both decide to have a temper tantrum. And my cart's full of groceries. So... If you've ever had this happen to you, you know, you don't want to turn around because I know people are looking at me like, whose kids are those and what's wrong with that mom? And you start to feel the shame coming up. And so, and then it's like I have an out-of-body experience where I see my kids are in the temper tantrum and it's like I step back and I, I see it and my mind goes, so short-term, fast-thinking, expedient. Okay, this is bad. My kids are being bad. I can't allow it, but I'm so tired today. You know, maybe they'll just, maybe, where was the candy out? Maybe I'll just bribe them and we can get out of here. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and we're done with it. And then, because I'm still kind of standing back, thinking about this, looking at this, then the other part of me goes, they can't do this. You know, I, I can't have my kids throwing a temper tantrum in a store because if I let them get away with this time, they're going to do it again. And so, and this is all happening in, in seconds. You know, I, I know you know what I mean. You're trying to make a decision. You're trying to figure out which way to go. Do I go the fast, expedient way, kind of give in to the kid? Or do I try to figure out how not to do, how, how to stop them from doing it? So what I did was, and I don't know why I thought of it, I just took both their little hands and we walked out of the store. And I left the grocery cart on aisle five or wherever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is great. You know, I'm going to have to wait for Jeff to get home. Um, then I'm going to back, go back to the store. And if I'm really lucky, my grocery cart will still be there with all the stuff piled in it. If I'm not, and the checkers are really on the ball, and they're, they're going to have put it all back again. And we're not going to eat dinner till 10 o'clock at night. But I was like, okay, all right, it's, it's, it's just worth it. So we get outside. We're outside, and my kids are so shocked. They're no longer screaming and crying and doing whatever. I don't know what they were doing. And they both looked at me and said, Mom, you left our groceries in there. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, I know. I know I left them in there. You know, it's like, oh. And I was like, right. And I said, and they said, well, what about our groceries? And I said, I'm sorry, guys. We don't act like that in the store. And they said, well, if we're really good, can we go back into the store? And I went, yes. And I'm thinking, thank you, thank you. So my kids were perfect. I got my groceries. I got home. And, you know, and um, it's funny because when I was a kid growing up, there were eight of us, and my mom used to call that time of day between 4 and 5 o'clock um, the arsenic hour. And the reason she called that was she said she either wanted to give us all poison or she wanted to take it herself. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a true story. Now, I, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's a joke, but it's true. It's what she used to say. And I, yeah, I mean, you can call it the arsenic hour, the witching hour. I don't care. It's, it, it's a tough time for when you have kids and everybody's tired and cranky. All right. So we're, so as moms, as dads, I mean, this goes for moms and dads, we're, we're trying to teach our kids self-control, and um, it's okay, it's easier when they're little, because my kids were small enough at two and three and a half, I, I could have picked one of them up in my arms, and the other I could have kind of dragged out the door, <laughs> they might have been screaming, but I could have moved them out. Well, what happens when your kids get older? You know, when my girls uh, got to be preteens, 
They were taller than me. In fact, my, one, my youngest daughter's almost six feet tall. I can't pick that kid up. So how do you teach them self-control? So, and I, I swear, I think that, you know, when your kids get to be that age, you need to have a PhD in clinical psychology to figure out how to redirect your kids, how to get them to... Um, under some self-control. So I have one more quick story, and, and then I'm going to kind of tie this up and bring some other things in, and we'll get back over to, to the Bible. Um, so uh, it's 4 o'clock. It's that same time. You know, it's the witching hour. I'm home from work, and um, kids are running around, and I remember I was wearing very high heels. And we had had a spate of door slammings in our house. And it was my youngest daughter that was doing it. My oldest daughter did too, but this couple of weeks was my youngest daughter. And so I'm walking into the kitchen to get something, and my youngest daughter, Marina, I'll tell her name. She knows I'm saying, telling the story. So all of a sudden, she goes walking back to her room, and I hear her slam the door. Now, it's not like, you know, when you let the door close just a little bit and it makes a big noise. She literally went bam, and slammed it. And here I go again. I'm thinking, this can't continue. You know, maybe she's in effect. So I, I do the same thing. It's kind of an out-of-body experience. I step back, and my mind's circling around. I'm thinking, I'm really tired. I had a rough day at work. You know, maybe this is just a phase. Maybe she won't do it anymore if I just ignore it. And then I'm thinking, okay, long-term, She's been slamming the door for two weeks. This has got to stop. I, this is driving me crazy. And, but, so it's kind of like, what do you do? I don't know where this came from. So I'm in these very high heels. I go trekking down the steps out to our garage. I grab my screwdriver and my hammer. I go back up the steps. And without saying one word, I haven't said one word to either of my girls, I take the door off the hinges. And I take that door in my high heels down the stairs and out to the garage. And I thought, oh, great. I am really going to have a sore back tomorrow. Luckily, that door was from a Ganal Lumber or um, a Home Depot. So it was a hollow core door. If it had been a solid door, I don't even know if I could have carried it. But, I mean, it's a long door. And I'm down the stairs. I didn't say a thing. And, again, both of my girls looked so shocked. And they just looked at me. And, I'm, and, and then Marina said, you took the door down? I said, I know. I know. And that's all I said. And then I went and changed my clothes, made dinner. And I think they thought it was funny. They were like, so what? Well, after, let me tell you, with a 12 or 13-year-old, after like seven or eight days of her door not being there where everybody could see in her room, and if we had said, honey, go do your homework, and she'd go in her room and close her door, and she wasn't doing her homework, she was playing or just whatever she was doing, and we could all see it. She was so busted. You know, after about eight days, she began to get very contrite. And so I put the door back up. This time I wasn't wearing high heels, thankfully. I put the door back on. So everything kind of calmed down. And about two days later, her little friend Erin, our neighbor who lived like three doors down, came running over. And Erin's like really fun and rambunctious. And uh, she, she and Marina were running and having fun. And so they run into Marina's room. Marina goes first. Erin goes next. And Erin slams the door. And I'm like, really? We just went through this. It's not my child, but, you know, it's another child. Obviously, it happens in their house, too. So um, I'm standing there thinking, what do I do now? And I hear this voice behind the door, and it's Marina's voice. And she said, Erin, we don't slam doors in this house. (laughs) I thank you. (laughs) 
It's like, okay, now, just so you think that, uh, or you don't think that I got it right, I made a lot of mistakes raising my kids. So those are just two examples in like 18 or 19 years of raising kids. That's not, uh, hardly not an Olympic record. And, um, and, and I'll make a true confession. A lot of times, instead of putting my kids in a timeout, I put myself in a timeout. <laughs> So I would go in a timeout for five minutes. And, and so here's what I want to say about love. Yeah, we love on our kids and we love them, but at some point we've got to teach them some self-control so that they can have this, these other virtues, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You know, and, and while we're teaching them, we have to exercise self-control. So I had to be, as, as I say in the Old Testament about God, he's quick to listen and slow to anger, I had to learn to slow, slow it down and be slow to anger myself. So in the twist on all of this is trying to teach my children self-control, I had to teach it to myself, do I mean, to grow these things in me. So anyways, let, let's move on to the, and the next slide. Uh, oops, oops, did I touch something? That was you. Oh, okay, good. Is, is, there, is there a next slide? <laughs> That's okay. If there's not a next slide, I'll just, uh, I can. Oh, thank you. Okay. So, so we, want, we want to bring this back to kind of behind the scenes. Um, so, so we were talking about the natural world, world and the disorder and the discord in the natural world. And uh, if we go to, uh, and we talked about uh, Paul and what he said about the fruits of the Spirit. Well, before that verse in the fruits of the spirit where it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. The verse right before it, Paul's talking about, about the problems in the world. And he's talking about the hatred and the, um, the arguments and the discord and the jealousy and the envy, all those things that cause such tremendous disorder in the world. And then he brings in the verse about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he talks about that. And then he says, and I think this is sarcastically, and he goes, well, there's no law against that. So I think what, he, what he's saying is, it's not illegal to, be, to love. It, it's not against the law to feel joy. It's not illegal to be peaceful. It's not illegal to be patient. I mean, it's a little sarcasm, but he's kind of directing us as to where we need to go so we don't have this, this relational toxicity in our life. So we don't have um, this, this tendency for things to unravel and to get out of whack and the discord and the, and the uh, disorder. So, so that's Paul's antidote, I think, through God, through the fruit of the Spirit, um, through us trying to mimic who God tells us we are, that we are created in his image, in the divine image, and he is love. And they're tr- he's trying to teach us to embody that love, but that includes self-control. So, and, and that's a difficult thing. And so I think, so this slide, um, thanks Mel, she's ahead of me. So if we think about our life and the story that we live in, we all live in some kind of a storyline. There's something we believe that inspires us. And, and I would say, if you want to have love and peace and order in your life, that, that you need to model your life into what God tells us is how we can enjoy that. And God says to us he, that that love is modeled in the person and life of Jesus Christ. So 
when Jesus came on this earth and walked, he was the full embodiment of God in his life, his story, what he said, what he did, should help us understand, you know, what kind of life and story we can have. We don't have to have a life where all our relationships are toxic. We don't have to have all the disorder and the discord, although that is how the natural world goes, and, 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 and things are always going to be kind of falling apart or breaking down, but God brings order to that, and, and God wants us to be on that same track with him. So when we get over to the Gospels, um, we can go to, uh, I want to go back over to um, John and or just talk a little bit about the Gospels. Um, so there are four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all have very, very different personalities, really different personalities. Okay, so here's, here's one of my favorite ones, Mark. Mark's really blunt, and this is for the guys that are here, because I know this is Mother's Day, but I want, I want to give you something, too. So Mark's really blunt. He's lively. There's a lot of imagery. There's really unusual words he uses in the Greek that none of the other gospel writers use, and it's really vivid. And so Mark, two of Mark's favorite words are in Greek are kai, which means and, and euthus, which means immediately. So this is what Mark does. And immediately, Jesus did this. And immediately, Jesus went to Galilee. And immediately, Jesus came here. And immediately. It's like action-packed. It's like watching a Jason Bourne film or a Mission Impossible film. And those are my husband's favorite films. (laughs) It's all action-packed. If you've ever been in the theaters, you know, and uh, sometimes I go with a girlfriend, we go to see a chick flick because my husband doesn't normally like those. And in the next theater, you hear this boom, 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 boom constantly. You know it's an action film, right? Well, that's what Mark's gospel is like. I don't think Jesus ever gets to sit down and have any rest because it's and immediately, and immediately Jesus, and immediately. He has them moving all over the place. Well, then we get to, by contrast, over to the Gospel of John. John's more cerebral. Uh, John's more subtle and profound. Um, reading him is like reading poetry. And, and there's a famous um, uh, British poet named William Words, Wordsworth, and, and he talks about... Um, the emotion, about the power of emotions, that poetry is really the outflow of powerful emotions. And so I, John, John is really interesting because John's always talking about love. I call him the love apostle. He's always talking about love. And in fact, he says in John 13, 35, he tells us, you know, how how can we have a, a different life, like a, 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 a life and a story that's not wrecked by disorder? How, how can it be better for us? And he says in John 13, 35, and he tells us that this is what Jesus said, because he walked with Jesus for three years. It was like 24-7. He was around Jesus. He ate with him. He heard him. He saw him. They were together constantly because he was an apostle. And Jesus said, love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my followers when they see the love you have for each other. So, John, um, I, I think, um, well, before I get there. So, so John, John's talking about love and he's writing about love. And if, if, if you read his gospel carefully, there's four times in his gospel where he says, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. Four times. And, and, and you're going, the one whom Jesus loved. 
the apostle who Jesus, whom Jesus loved. And when I, when, every time I, when, when I was looking at it this week, I was thinking, gosh, that sounds kind of conceited. I mean, he's, he's, ta- he's saying he's Jesus' favorite, that Jesus loved him better than all the other apostles. And I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about Wordsworth, about what he said about poetry and um, how strong of emotion love is, the powerful emotion that just, you know, spontaneously um, erupts in poetry. And I think that John experienced the powerful emotion of Jesus' love, and it And he so transformed his identity. He took it in himself. He was branded by it because God's brand is love. So he was branded by it, and I think he was never the same. And so he was always talking about it and writing about it. And so when, when he says, the one whom Jesus loved, I think it's because he felt the love. That's how we would say it today. We're not, I'm not as eloquent as Wordsworth, as the poet, but he, John felt the love, and so he was just saying it. You know, he felt the love of God. And so we come down further into John, and this time to 1 John, and he says, friends, Let us love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and experiences a relationship with God. I really love that quote and I I want to read it again. Let us love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and experiences a relationship with God. I mean, I just think that's fabulous, you know. I really, really like John and the way he says things. And, And then we get to a point trying to kind of pull all this together. We live in a world that's disordered, um, but we see God's beauty and order imposed on it through the creation story and through the beauty that he created for us. He He called it good. So the beauty that's out there for us, that's revealed to us that we get to experience. Um, And then John says, so we kind of know the who. The who is, you know, God is love. His identity is in love. And that's who he wants us to be because he made us in his image, male and female. All of us were made in his image. And then John says in uh, 1 John 4.15, if we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. So if we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. And, you know, that's really exquisite. I think I I love that language. Um, Instead of, um, can we go to the next slide? I'm sorry, Melody. So, um, so here's kind of the why. The why of the love and the self-control and the fruits of the Spirit in between it are because it moves us more to completeness. It, it moves us more towards perfection, although I don't like to use the word perfection. I like to say it, it makes us complete. So that's kind of the why of the how and the why of it. The who is God, his identity and love that he wants to transfer to us. And his parents, uh, friends, family members, we, we, we want to share that with people around us. So, uh, and Wordsworth had some words about that too. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a good poet. And he said, love makes the best better. So love makes the best better. But I kind of like what John said when John says, um, when God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. So two different ways of saying it, the profound uh, impact that love will have and, um, in our lives. So kind of to wrap that up, to wrap up the sermon, you know, while 
we live in a world of disorder and discord. Um, we don't have to, that doesn't have to be our storyline. We can have a different story. And that story is grounded in the identity of who the God is we believe in. And that was modeled for us in the person and life of Jesus Christ. And the gospel writers tell us about it and what Jesus did, what he did for us. His extravagant, his extravagant, reckless love for us. The band saying that, I love that. Spectacular, extravagant, extravagant uh, without abandonment, wild. And so um, we at Watermark, can you put on the next slide? Uh, we at Watermark want to say that um, we believe in a God of love. And if you, and we explore this God every week, so we invite you to come back next week. Explore with us as we kind of try to get this right together, you know, together about love and self-control and all these other things. So um, happy Mother's Day to all the women that are out here, and have a wonderful, blessed day, and thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.